Hello and welcome to this Teen Tips podcast. Today I am talking to Tessa Morton. Tessa is a therapist, a CBT therapist. Uh, She set up is the founder of Act for Autism with her partner Jane Gannett. Act for Autism is a social enterprise providing parents, carers, teachers and autistic young people with insight into autism. So welcome Tessa, thank you for coming today. It's a pleasure. And um, I guess just starting off, wondering why you set up Act for Autism. My son was diagnosed uh, with Asperger's when he was four. He's now 20, so that was 16 years ago. And at the time, I was looking to find out as much as I could about it. And I just found the messages so confusing, so overwhelming, and so many mixed messages that I tried to get clarity for myself. And then once I got that clarity, I started to share it with his teachers and obviously my family and friends. And then it started to snowball. I set up some creative projects for young people. And then I started to work with the county council in my area, Warwickshire County Council. And we facilitated training in schools. And I think setting up the company just meant that we could do more work at a wider level. And we've got a social enterprise status, which means we can do things for for no money, which is great because people often can't afford the support services. But also we can get grants and funding from other places to build bigger projects to reach more people. Fantastic. And um, as this is predominantly for parents. Um, I mean, I'm guessing there'll be some teachers and other people out there listening. But as a parent, when you how, how might you know that one of your children is autistic? What you'll probably notice, and this is very general, um, is that at an early age, your child might have more distress than other children um, in terms of regulating their emotions you might find that they are sensory in terms of reacting to things differently. So light, sound, smell. You might find that their play is different. They often prefer to play on their own. And in fact, that's not really true. They just find interacting with other children quite complicated. So playing on their own is more simple. They might find learning in a typical environment quite stressful as well because of the learning. Nothing to do with their intellect, but because of the environment, the overload and the pressure. So autism often presents as a different kind of behaviour than the developing peer group at quite an early age. So lots of children might behave, have some of those behaviours. And I'm guessing it's perhaps when you've got more than one of those behaviours or or accumulation of those behaviours that you might start to think about autism. Also, I think what happens is when the normal kind of parenting boundaries of... um, consequences and the kind of natural development where children grow out of some of that behaviors isn't happening and the more you put the boundaries on the more exasperated the child becomes is when you probably think this is not neurotypical development because most children as you say will go through that chaotic stage where they're trying to work out their social skills um, their cognitive organization and also their sensory processing and that's normally between I would say 18 months and you know three what happens with a typical autistic child is that that doesn't settle down and everybody else is moving on to a more regulated state. The autistic child will be in chaos still and probably being told off for being in chaos. So more difficult for the adults to know how to respond to them and how to manage. Because I think what we expect is that if we as a parent are putting in the boundaries, you know, you must share, you must be calm, you mustn't shout, that at some point the child will learn that. The autistic kids that I've worked with will tell me they don't even hear those instructions. Wow. 
So there's a big disconnect between parent and child. Yeah, because the parent is trying to do their best to socialise their child because that's what society expects. That's what's going to be good for the child so they can fit in and work with their social peer group to develop. But for an autistic child, there are so many complications in that transition. Um, it becomes exasperating because not only are they getting it wrong, whatever that means, but they've got quite a lot of adults around them getting exasperated, frustrated yeah. and judging them really for not difficult. getting it right. Really difficult. And I know that autism, um, Asperger's, are they are they all the same sort of behaviours? Is, is there an obvious way of, of knowing the difference? Or There's a spectrum. Um, the spectrum is not a word I've chosen to, to describe autism. Some people now talk about it as a constellation, actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of behaviours, but it's also about your environment that you're brought up in. It's also about your personality. So if you have... Autism is a brain difference. So you're born, and neuroscanning um, can show us this now, that you're brought, born with a a brain difference, i.e. the synapses are working differently in an autistic child, which would suggest that sensory input is coming in differently. So I might regulate heat and light because I recognise it. An autistic child might not recognise heat and light and don't regulate it the same way, but will be affected by it. So it could be too bright or too hot. They won't know how to sort that out in their brain as we do. So you've got that part of the condition. You've then got a child who might get angry because of that, because they are more fiery, or you might have a child that retreats because they're more passive. So then you're dealing with somebody who is aggressive or isolated and you try and manage that behaviour. So it is very confusing. I mean, I talk to parents a lot who say they find it very confusing. And the one thing I'll say to them is, yeah, you find it confusing, but think how confusing it is for your four-year-old who really doesn't understand why they can't regulate things that all their peer group can regulate quite easily. Mm. So they feel different, but can't understand it. Well, they so. feel different in their bodies. Yeah. They also feel different because they become isolated. Yeah. They also feel different because this is going to sound awful, but they get told off quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was watching one of your videos, and you talk about cognitive chaos. It's only something I've realised recently through having lots of clients, young people, who start to talk to me about how their brain feels. And if you say to an autistic child in therapy. How do you feel? Which is a very common sentence we use in therapy. They won't know. They don't know to say sad, upset, because they can't recognise that feeling like we do. So what I do is we create names, we create noises, we create metaphors. So some of the children will say to me, my head feels like lots of balloons popping all at the same time. My head feels like a block of tar that's heavy and weighted. My head feels like a gate that's shut, completely closed, and nothing can get out. Um, what we do know, that it's very, very confusing for them. If you can imagine on a very busy day, you're late for the train station, you've lost your car keys, you get a phone call, you suddenly realise that you haven't got something that's upstairs, you've lost your bag. That's cognitive chaos, isn't it? Mm. An autistic child can feel like that every time. They get out of bed and have to face going downstairs to breakfast and thinking about the day. And then people are putting demands on them. Where's your bag? Have you done your homework? Behave nicely. Eat this. It's just a very overwhelming space, pretty consistently for them. Mm. And they create very good protective behaviours by avoiding things or getting cross. 
So the sooner we can work out how to give them an environment that helps them feel less chaotic and overloaded, the better. So uh, is there a sort of average age where people um, start to start to go for diagnosis for autism? Is it different for girls? Is it different for and boys? The sad truth is we're living in an age where diagnosis is available and there are different rules in different counties. So... Some people will pick it up very quickly and if the county's got funding in the right place, they'll put you through a system of diagnosis and they'll give you the label. That's great, but there's not much support then. Um, Other counties will say you can't get a diagnosis till four. Well, if your child's displaying behaviours that are really distressing for them and the family beforehand, what are you supposed to do? Some children won't present until they're 13, 14, 15. Typical case with girls, actually, And again, I'm not generalising here, so please forgive me out there, anybody who's seen it differently. But in my experience, there's a perfect storm at about 13, 14 for young girls. So they've been a very passive child. They've been modelling, because girls apparently model much better than boys, because they want to be socially appropriate. Can you just say a bit about when you say modelling? Modelling means copying. So like all children do, they're looking around at what's right and what's wrong to be socially acceptable. Autistic girls are brilliant at this because it's in their interest to not get it wrong. So they'll probably align themselves to a group of girls that they can copy, model quite easily. And nobody will notice any different. They're normally quite academic and they will work very hard. And the parent will think, I have a model child here. And then at about 13, transition from school, you know, small school to big school. You've got pressure of exams. You've got a lot of social pressure, as we know. Girls become a little bit more tribal. Mm-hmm. Behaviour is a little bit more, um, you know, separating, you know, who's cool, who's not cool. You've also got hormones. Behaviour then is almost uncontrollable for a lot of autistic girls. And that's when we see some of the behaviours, although I don't like to call them behaviours. I think there's no right word. It's a distress, it's a distress call, as we call it, of self-harming. Something's going to be associated with undiagnosed autism. Um, suicidal thoughts, even anorexia. Some anorexic cases have now been, um, if you look back, a lot of the behaviours would have started earlier on as masking and covering and controlling around food. Mm. So it's a difficult one. Boys are normally, they, they, they say it's a male condition. Again, statistics might say now that it's becoming more balanced. When I first got diagnosed, my son, I was told it was one in five. I don't know how they made that. Um, so I'm, I'm rambling now. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. And um, so one of the things that people say is that there is has been a big increase in diagnosis of autism. And why do you think that might be? Yeah, I think firstly, the diagnose the diagnostic criteria is much broader now. So what you might class as autistic is um, broader on the spectrum so behaviors that would not have been classed as autistic 20 years ago um, are now autistic i also think that if we think of autism as a sensory difference so if your brain is receiving sensory information differently and your world is very sensory challenging we all know that we live in a world that's very chaotic now unfortunately i think the 21st century doesn't support an autistic brain having um, good management strategies because it's chaotic. The expectations, the social media, 
the just the noise the noise that is around and i don't mean typical noise but the talking and the speed the, as the well speed, the pace of life the choices i mean i often say to parents if you consider a school environment even 25 years ago um people dress the same um the school walls weren't kind of covered in beautiful posters your teachers probably were quite consistent um the messages were quite consistent you came home from school, your street was quite consistent, your family meals were quite consistent. And we know because the kids tell me they love consistency. Yeah. That allows them to regulate. Well, if that's changing all the time because we're trying to make a more creative, more um, uh, dynamic world, that's quite hard for an autistic brain. So that might be another reason. And I think, I think there's stigma that's been lifted. So I think a lot more people... Which we could say about mental health yeah, as well. Yeah, I think like we? mental health. I mean, I think people who are struggling at home who might have thought, I don't want to have my child labelled or I don't want anyone to know that we're struggling or that my child's struggling are now realising that actually it's okay to say that my child is different and actually I need to establish that my child is different so we can get some support. Mm. And what is different anyway? Well, what's normal. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess, you, so you've talked about getting the label and you were doing the inverted commas sign with your with your fingers as you did it because uh, getting the label of autistic can be very helpful. But I think perhaps often we underestimate the impact that actually the initial getting the label can have on the child but but actually on the parents and everybody else around them as well and and that period of adjustment so you work with people who've who've often just had mm. the label in inverted covers put put their way what what advice do you give them well my experience of running parent training is it's a very mixed response so for some parents they'll say thank the lord we're not Relief. all going crazy there is a reason a neurological reason that my poor child has been misunderstood and misread for so long. So that's a really positive response. Mm -hmm. You then have parents who were hoping that whatever was happening to their child would go away, the distress, the, the rejection from their peers, the isolation, and they'd become normal. And I suppose, and again, I do that in inverted commas, and I suppose for them it's... And a father said to me the other day, he's still coming to terms with the fact that his child won't be the child that he had the picture in his head. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be honest, as parents, we all have that. We kind of expect a little mini-me, don't we? And the child will be different. The path will be different. Um, and the sooner that they can adjust to that, it's going to be better for them and the child. And, and I, I guess there's also that, you know, that as parents, we want life we want our children's life to be as easy for them as possible. Absolutely. So you know that having that label is going to make life more difficult. I think it's going to make, well, I think having autism, there are two schools of thought. You know, you talk to many autistic people and you say, would you take your autism away? And they'd say, absolutely not. And I agree with that. I know that I'd quite like to take away some of the despair and distress that the children I mm. work with have. But that's because society doesn't understand them. Mm -hmm. We're all going to have challenges. We're all going to have periods in our life where we find things difficult. I don't want a Pollyanna or sugarcoat autism because it does mean that things are a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. But if society is more open to understanding and we can learn from the autistic kids how they need us to be, and that's our big message, 
We do a lot of work with young people to get them to be brave to voice what they feel and what they need. Now that's hard because they don't know what they feel and they often don't know what options there are to be supported. But the more we can say to a child, you have feelings and you can have them met if you can just voice them, that's a fantastic pathway. It's harder for them though because they've been let down a lot. And as they say to us, when we most need help, that's when we're least able to get help because our voices. Some of them say to me, my voice just stops. The words are all in my brain and they don't come out of my mouth. Which again, we've probably all experienced. If you're very excited, sometimes we can't get the words out. If you're very distressed, you can't get the words out. But we can then regulate. What if that's going to happen to you at any point in the day? Even if you just want to go and speak to a friend, the words don't come out. Well, what starts to happen is you don't trust yourself. So you then don't make those connections. And then your peer group think you're aloof and odd and different. And that's when all the problems start. The autism Isolation. Yeah, isolation. And as we know, for all our children, well, for us too as adults, mm. we're social beings. Yeah. People mm. often say, oh, autistic children don't want friends. No, 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 no. They just find it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, they find that they get rejected a lot and they're very acute to rejection. They, they recognise it. They can sense when people aren't feeling um, welcoming. The other thing that actually kids were telling me this week in one of our projects is that often one of the stereotypes is autistic kids don't have empathy. Well, they can present looking like they're not empathetic, but they would say they feel everything twice as much as neurotypicals. So actually that's quite exhausting. Wow. So they won't enter into territories where there's stress because they feel it so much. So if the parents are shouting in the house, even if they're just shouting about, you know, tea time or where are my socks? That will feel like a very aggressive space. Mm. My son used to say to me when I was shouting, as you do, supper time. He'd think I was cross because I'd raise my voice and it was a sharp tone. One of the children I was working with recently said that he couldn't go into an exam hall. And this has nothing to do with not having revised because when he walked into an exam hall, he could feel 120 boys stress going into his body. Wow. Well, that sounds like a really violent onslaught that I would want to avoid. So he can't filter out other people's feelings. How would we know that? Also, when he's six, how would he know that we weren't experiencing that as well? So it's a autism is fascinating, but actually we have to remind ourselves that these kids are struggling with this understanding of self more than anything. Yeah, and I guess, so when they then are going through adolescence, which is all about really finding your identity, starting to separate from your family, uh, the brain is working differently anyway. So during middle adolescence, you know, they don't read the social cues in the same way as as we do when we're younger or older that must make it even harder yeah which is when lots of the problems happen um that's when a lot of the anger comes that's when a lot of parents would say now before the kicking and screaming when they were six i could deal with but the kicking and screaming of a 13 year old is violent and that's when we start to medicate that's when we start to work with restraint and it's just not good you're trying to cage and this is a horrible phrase a wild animal and we know what happens when you try and cage a wild animal you're not going to tame it so i talk to parents about you're addressing behavior rather than the unmet emotional needs also the emotional needs this is a child who is totally distressed by being confused as to who they are and why the adults around them aren't able to help them understand themselves But again, why would a parent understand it? Because it's a very different child presentation at that stage. And also 
the typical parenting does not work. It, it, people will say to me, but if I just let him get away with it, I say, what are you letting him get away with? Being naughty. He doesn't even know he's naughty. He's having real trouble regulating and behaving in a way that is unregulated. So you've got to teach him about regulation. You've got to go right back to basics. You've got to create calm spaces in your house. We talk about, um, we've created a concept because we wanted parents to have a very simple toolkit takeaway. Mm -hmm. And there are two things that are really working, which we introduced just as, why don't you try this? And we've been doing it for two years in our training. And one of them is called Clear Time. Mm -hmm. Now, Clear Time is trying to create between 15 and 30 minutes a day where you're just with the child, being, doing nothing. Now, at first, it might feel a bit weird. And parents say to us, well, if I just go and sit next to him, they'll just go, what are you doing? Um, but just try, even if it's alongside them at a computer, even if it's alongside them when they're sitting in the garden, and just be, get rid of your anxiety. So we call it clear time because you're clearing yourself of anxiety, really hard, clearing yourself of distractions, put the phone away, don't be thinking about what you've got to do next, and also clearing yourself of expectations. So you're not thinking, well, I hope he's going to talk to me, or I hope she's going to. It's just being and first of all, that's very good for you as a parent because it's well, very I mindful. I think it's really good for all kids. Everybody should be trying this is to what do we it. Say. It's not just for autistic children. Everybody needs. All children need to yeah. know that you're you're just there. It's and being. I think again, society is creating us with so many options as parents that we're doing everything but just being with our children. But the thing about being that way with an autistic child is you are modelling a state that you're trying to create in them, which is just stillness because how did the child when they were 18 months learn how to regulate probably from looking around well I think our children the autistic children missed that moment because they were too busy trying to work out their uh, cognitive chaos to take in the lessons that were happening around them so by modeling calmness by modeling stillness and obviously you then move on from that state but if you can do that regularly we've witnessed it that parents will say well I sat 15 minutes on the end of the bed or 50 minutes in a chair while he was doing his Minecraft or sat with him while he was doing Lego or sat with her while she was just combing her doll's hair. Not too intrusive, just being there. You know, they might have taken something in, like one of the mums said, I took some knitting in. I said, well, that's cool. That's that's nice. At least you were doing something, but you were very present for the child. And within about three or four sessions, the child does start to turn and talk and share or lean in and they get responses that they just hadn't had from the child before and you build from that space now once you start to create those moments where the child feels i'm going to get my clear time with mummy or daddy then you can start to think about the other three c's that we talk about connecting calming and communicating now so often with autistic kids we want to communicate either to find out how they're feeling you know why are you doing this why are you so upset? Or to communicate them things like don't do that or get your shoes or, you know, general everyday communication. But the autistic child will be shutting down to that. So you have to start with connection first. So the connection happens in clear time where they feel safe. They feel there's a secure base. Then by you being calm with no expectation, they feel that they can see you, if that makes sense. And again, mm -hmm. young people I was working with just this week were saying, when you're calm, I can see you and I can be calm with you and then we can be calm together and then we can start talking. 
And I never really appreciate that that process needs to go on for the child before you go in to communicate. And then we talk about communicating and communicating can be anything. It can just be talking about stuff or it can be letting them communicate with you. But I think it's witnessing how we are so committed to getting the communication going, which is very well intended, but we can't go straight in at communication level. It has to start at connect and calm, which is established by doing the clear time practice. Mm-hmm. Really hard, though. Parents will say, I haven't got time or my son wouldn't let me in the bedroom or my daughter just pushed me away. And we say, keep trying. It's subtle, really subtle. And you might start with five minutes and build up yeah. whatever it takes just to get that connection. I mean, the best time I found was being in the car and not doing the instant chat. How was your day? Mm. Um, not filling the space with sound or walking the dog or just if they're watching a film just be in the same room but be watching the film with them even if it's not your choice of film and just let them do the talking Mm. but if they sense that there's an adult in the room with no expectation and is calm it creates a really safe space for them Mm. and I think if you think about how often do we do that really really rarely and the kids tell me that's what they need just a safe adult around who they can trust is not going to ask too much of them. I think we need to stop there for a minute. Um, I've discovered that once again, I'm in that situation where I'm speaking to somebody who's so interesting and so knowledgeable about their subject area that uh, it's, it's very hard to cut it down to 20 minutes or so. So um, once again, we're going to do this in two halves. Um, and I hope you'll join me again for the second half of my chat with Tessa where we're going to have a little think about how schools can make themselves more autism friendly and then uh, we're going back again to thinking about how as parents we can help them in those meltdown moments so hopefully I'll see see you again soon bye